As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined very soon by the rest of my co-hosts. But as we've become accustomed these last few weeks, I'm enjoying just, you know, these 30, 40,000 seconds I get with you all beforehand. Um, as always, we're live on Spotify Greenroom uh, pretty much every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central. Uh, we are also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts for whenever the rest of you end up hearing this. And we are clearly under the sports drink crime umbrella. So uh, come on, come all. We're really happy to have you guys back. Um, just kind of waiting on Andrew and Brian here. This week, we're going to talk about a few things. Um, obviously, what happened in uh, Knoxville over the weekend, Um bit of a game recap as well, so strap in. Uh, we've got our first speaker request, and it just so happens to be from a co-host. Andrew, what's going on, fam? Oh, I, I it appears I have to unmute myself to get my opinions out on the airwaves. How are we? Yeah. You know what? Can't really complain. It's a, um, it's a Tuesday night, so it's banjo night, as we all know, and have become accustomed to over the last... I think six weeks in a row we've been able to run this. I don't think we've ever done that before. So, you know. Except except for last week when we recorded on Wednesday. So every Tuesday except for last week. Oh, whatever. A week is a week. We'll be all right. A week, a week is a week. And uh, I, I believe uh, we got 42 Doug to come, which I heard. KP, you lined that up? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, 42 Doug, um, in honor of Banjo 42 uh, dropping, will be coming on later in the show. Um, so if you have any questions for Mr. Doug, please send them our way. Um, I'm pretty much just going to ask well, we'll, where the inspiration came from uh, for his verse on repaid back in 2020. Um, but um, anything- I'm going to I'm going to finally get to the bottom of uh, KP and I's uh, academic journal. All rappers are five three. Well, forty two does a solid four foot seven, so I think it's a little mean to say to him. The picture that we put out on Instagram today is is still my single favorite picture of I can't believe of all time. And you know what? He's probably still taller than Tory Lanez. 
Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, the only thing I need is to stick my head in the ground regarding all news around 42, Doug, because I, I can't have him canceled. No. <laughs> I, just, I, feel like, I feel like we're inside 18 months of it happening, so let's just enjoy the ride while you can. Oh, very. Oh, no. Please, please, 42. Just, again, continue to, uh, continue to just hang very closely to Lil Baby and Gunna and do absolutely nothing wrong. Because I want nothing but to support you and buy your merchandise, and we can't be doing that if you're, I don't know, in racial chat rooms showing feet. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, oh, yeah. Doja has Doja's the, the number one artist on Spotify right now, behind like <laughs> BTS. So I, <laughs> you know, cancel, cancel is a nebulous term. I'm not sure anyone really knows what it means. Um, KP, speaking of cancel. What's going on in our home city right now, my friend? Oh, buddy. Uh, we're, we're getting right into that. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so. I, I don't know. Dude, uh, unfortunately, we have, uh, as, as banjo listeners are accustomed to, the way that the rundown works is KP writes the rundown. Ross, who is at a hockey game tonight, uh, reads the rundown. Andrew glances at the rundown, and Rippy doesn't know the rundown exists. So it's a little game of, of telephone that goes uh, there. So if I just broke the rundown, I do apologize. Yeah, um, new record for you. Like, really only uh, four minutes in. So, <laughs> but yeah, getting right into it. Um, for those who, I don't know who listens to this podcast that isn't aware of this news by now, but um, Ed Orgeron was fired on Sunday morning. Um, funnily enough, after like LSU's most impressive performance of the season, um, beating Florida 49-42 at home, um, apparently this was negotiated before the Florida week, before the Florida game throughout the week. Uh, he will finish the season, um, but he will not return in 2022 as LSU's head coach. Part of this agreement was to pay him, um, I think, what like a million dollars once every two months. And he has to appear at like three different events at LSU's request over the like per year over the next few years. It was a really weird situation, but Edo's getting his full buyout, um, and it just goes to show um, if you're just a wild boy for a year plus, you can get fired and just get paid seventeen million dollars after that. Yeah, I, I really felt like uh, th- this really was. Um, and uh, I apologize if I'm just completely plagiarizing this from another college football podcast that I've inevitably listened to this week. But it really did feel like uh, Woodward and LSU just backed away guns drawn here just because I think they both knew that they could if, – if, uh, if LSU started and Woodward started to get hairy on – not wanting to pay the buyout or trying to delve into um, any of these again, which I think they had more than more than cause to do delve into any of the title nine investigations or the end of the Darius guy stuff or anything. I think they probably could have. Um, and then I think, uh, but, but I also think that um, there is LSU has, or O has a little bit of just, when you are the figurehead of the most important program in the state, you generally are privy to information um, on administration and things going on in the school. 
that I just have to imagine LSU would not be thrilled at letting it leak just because when these extensions and these $42 million and these buyouts get negotiated, I have to imagine the money that they are pulling it from is not of all 100% kosher legal school uh, accounted for tender. I'm sure it is at the very end, but I I think that them coming to some sort of agreement saying – we're going to get you out of here and we're going to send you with your golden parachute is probably going to be the best thing for both parties. Now, is it what should have happened? Probably not. Um, I think LSU probably could have dug the screws into O just because I, I don't really know how to think of O. And I think this is something that is, is going to be decent to parse out because I, I think we know history tends to um, – I feel like soften on these figures that especially if they have something in their past positive that you can look to, I feel like that that is typically the prevailing narrative over the reasons that he's going to get fired. And so I'm interested in like, what is O's legacy? So it's actually a little interesting. Um, Obviously the last three, I guess at this point, two and a half seasons are, you know, the pretty much the most extreme in the other direction. Um, you have to give him credit for 2019. He did hire Joe Brady. Um, you know, he did bring in Joe Burrow, even though, I, for, like, first of all, Joe Burrow was, I mean, he was the Ohio State backup. It wasn't like, you know, a crazy idea. He was, he was the Ohio State backup. It, it wasn't insane for him to have brought in Burrow. Um, but he still did it, and eventually Joe Brady got him to a point where he became the number one draft pick, and they had one of the best seasons ever. Um, and then after that, he's he's nine and eight since that season ended, and that's just never ever going to cut it at a place like LSU. If Nick Saban went nine and eight over his next seventeen games, I'd start asking questions. You know, um, I'm sure you would about Kirby Smart. It's just for a premier SEC program, it's just not acceptable performance wise. But before then, ah, nine and eight. Nine and eight, uh, Bama. Uh, Nick Saban would come home to a burned down Lake Lanier uh, lake house. Uh, nine, nine. Yeah, uh, we they were saying has he lost his fastball after a loss in College Station? Nine and eight is just a new level of of low, and I think that yeah. that is something that um, uh, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off there, but I think that's something that I think is the the largest underlying piece in I, I, I'm. Don't know how many people read, read the Brody Miller Brody Miller article from the Athletic. I stole KP's Athletic login to do so, um, but the uh, I think the largest prevailing narrative in there um, was that he he kind of I I don't really know how like I, this seemed more. Um, I don't. I don't know necessarily the, the the right word, but this this seemed more calculated behind the scenes than I feel like that we may have seen because this always happens in college football. Is what you. Once it starts coming out into the public light, there have been so many booster conversations. And so, when do you think was the when do you think it was always fired? Because I think his seat was a lot hotter than people may have realized coming into this season. Um, well, they were three and five last year before dead cat bouncing to win at Florida, which I mean, Florida sat Kyle Pitts in that game because they thought they beat LSU pretty easily, um, and then just kind of a crazy game against Ole Miss at home that got rescheduled. So um, they were—I forget who they lost. I think it was—it um, might have been 
Um, like obviously, Alabama was always going to beat LSU last year, but I mean, it was like forty-five to ten at halftime or whatever. Like it was, or forty-five fourteen. Like it was. LSU should never lose to Alabama in that fashion. I don't care. I know Nick Saban's a coach. I know they put together incredible teams. That LSU should never be in that position. They were three and five going into Gainesville last year. Um, but the true death knell, I think, was the Auburn loss. Um, I am not super impressed with Auburn this season. I don't think they're going to be that great. They'll probably beat Alabama and Jordan Hare because it's an odd year. But, I mean, you can't let Bo Nix come down from two scores with four minutes to go on your home field. And I think at that point it was kind of just um, – it was elementary at that point. The Kentucky loss is just a cherry on top. And I'm pretty sure he was fired um, after letting Bo Nix escape and scramble for 19 seconds before throwing a touchdown to Tyler from. Um, That's too good. Yeah, the, uh, I, I agree with you there. And I think the, the thing that is, I think, largely highlighted and is something that is sort of a through line in a lot of what we talk about in college football is winning truly cures everything and like granted i know that it all stacks on top of one another in that like back in that brody miller article we had there were the all the the reports of the kids going to practice and all of the mistresses and all of these distractions and whatnot but it's it really is a matter of like if you're able to manage those things they really don't give a shit if you win football games now granted those distractions are the reason that you are not putting as much time in on the field and then you become sloppy on defense. And then all of those little things start ticky tacking and adding up. But if for some reason, to be completely honest, I think Lane Kiffin's done a pretty good job of it. If you were able to manage some sort of like a a little bit hairier private life, but you were still able to win on the field, I really don't think people give a shit. And I think that's kind of the thing about this entire O situation that people are going to, to, maybe see if, I don't know, a guy like Urban Meyer makes his way back in college football. Like, if you win, people... Yeah, I mean, we've we've been playing college football um, for 152 years now. Uh, coaches have been wilding out for every single one of those years, right? Like, it's not... like it, it, O's not unique in how he was... To quote the great poet Kanye West, he was running around like he was Pac. Like... <laughs> Coaches have done that forever, and they will continue to do so. But if you're at a premier program like LSU and you're running around like that, and it causes you to go nine and eight over your last seventeen, I think it's even more. I think it's like what seven and eight against Power Five teams. Um, then yeah, it's like you can't have both. You know, <laughs> you know, like Mark Rick had. I mean. 08, 09, and 2010. Those are not good years. And almost any other coach would have gotten fired for that. But, I mean, Mark Rick turned out to just kind of be a chill guy off the field. So they let him keep his job. (laughs) You can't do both. No, no, you really – I mean, KP, I feel like we have this conversation um, when when we talk about Catholic High, but I felt like the prevailing narrative there when we saw some of the coaches being fired was you can either win games – you can, or, or what, what? I can't remember the adage was. It was either you can win games and be an asshole, you can lose games and be a nice guy, but you can't lose games and be an asshole. No, you can't. And what's funny is, God bless Dell Wyman. He won a ton of games and was just like a nice guy. But you know, <laughs> um, yeah, it's 
you have to just like glad hand administration. You have to be a choir boy, shake the right hands, do the right things. If the performance on the field is slipping and Orgeron is just not that guy. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but he's not, he's not going to suck up to Scott Woodward and be like, Oh, sir, please let me keep my job. I'll be a good, like, no, that's not him. That's not a lot of coaches, but you know, and, it's and unfortunately, I, I would use this time. I just want the listeners to know that I had set up that transition at the beginning. I was about to set up a segue that says, speaking of other college football coaches that are struggling against Power 5 opponents, and then we'd get into the Florida talk, but we got our good friend Brian Scott Rippey on the line now, and so I feel like we should let him touch on some Coach O news before, uh, before we get going into everything else. Yeah, what's up? Sorry for the uh, tardiness. I uh, I literally was like, so I clicked the link, and then I have a roommate now, so I can't just be like out in the open putting this thing on speaker for an hour. And then I lost my headphones, so I've been running around my apartment trying to find them for 10 minutes. So that was fun, only to find them uh, on my bed, actually out in plain sight. So that was sweet. But, uh, yeah, so I actually just got done about 45 minutes ago uh, as of this like recording uh, talking to uh, pal Brody Miller about this entire situation. Um, which was kind of clutch because I imagine he might be the busiest man in America right now. But we talked to a pretty, a pretty good length about like, kind of how this happened and uh, the fallout and where they kind of go from there. And it's a really interesting story from a lot of different angles. And I think y'all may have already covered this, but no matter what sort of reporting you read, whether it's from Brody or Ross Dellinger or guys that have been plugged in down there for a long time, the consensus seems to be that that thing ended the beginning of the end was kind of the summer and the off season after the national title run. And particularly, you know, there's the divorce element of it, but it's really the, his kind of mishandling of the, the, everything that was the summer of 2020 from a racial reckoning and a social justice standpoint, right? He goes on and does the Fox news hit. I don't remember what show or what host it was, but uh, and not to sound like an ed apologist, but I watched that segment the other night, just trying to figure out like the, like what was the context of it? And like the host was kind of typically doing your you know, Fox News major TV station deal where they were trying to like goad him into saying something nice about the current president to which he ended up saying, you know, I love Donald Trump or whatever the hell he said that didn't sit over well. And then him not showing up after he was asked by the players to go to, you know, LSU's march that, you know, there were tons of them happening across the country. Ole Miss did one with Lane Kiffin and he doesn't show up to that and sends an assistant to where all of a sudden you have this weird dynamic where they're meeting in Scott Woodward or I can't remember Scott Woodward or the chancellor's office, like the players in Woodward and the chancellor without Ed. And he shows up afterward and they quote unquote reconcile the situation, but I don't think that's really what happened. So that seemed to be kind of the beginning of the end because he just completely lost the locker room after that and botched it. And that was kind of the first sign of, Oh shit, this is old Ed Ogeron again, not kind of the, you know, players coach, not meddling CEO Ogeron. And I think everything just kind of slowly whittled away after that. Um, And then it seemed very much over after UCLA. And then if you really wanted a final nail in the coffin, it was, Kentucky, I don't know about you guys, what shocked you about the whole separation agreement? Because I think there are two or three things that really stood out to me. One, that he has to make a public appearance once a year for four years at LSU's request. And two, the fact that, A, he's keeping all his money and coaching out the rest of the year. That's just utterly bizarre to me. I think the coaching out the rest of the year is what really kind of is what I feel like is weird. I've never, ever thought this was a good scenario. I think Florida did this with Muschamp. Florida's done it twice with Muschamp and Ronza, funny enough. 
But uh, yeah, it's, is there no one on that staff they trust to be an interim for five, for five or six weeks? Like no one. Like if, well, I that was Birdie's understanding. That's, like yeah, which that's, I find hard to that, believe. He, he but, but he said was, no. There's no one. That's the funny part, though, is that Coach O literally his his entire downfall was. At he, what he his entire plan was going to be was I am going to be the Dabo Sweeney model. I am going to like his his binder had fucking Lane Kiffin in there as like this major star off or offensive coordinator. He had Dave Aranda in there. He was just going to be the CEO. And it's really funny that among everything else, his his on field demise was literally hiring a staff that was too incompetent to replace him if he were to get fired. Like yes, like, exactly, it, you're exactly it, it, right. It's literally, it's literally like in any business world, like hiring someone below you that is too incompetent to take over the job, and therefore management has to keep you there. Kind of genius, honestly. But if you, yeah, if you're doing the Dabo model, that's, I mean, it's a good model. Dabo's won two national championships with it. Um, but like, if Dabo were to, you know, be caught embezzling millions of dollars from the state of South Carolina and was fired, like, okay, cool. Like, I trust Brent Venables to hold the rope for five or six weeks even though he's never been a head coach, you know, I trust, um, you know, Tony Elliott to just like have a pulse. I mean, but like you said, Andrew, it, he did the dabble model, but bad, like, J- like Jake Pete and Durante Jones, like they can't be more than six years older than us. Right. Well, they also don't want them to be right. Like say Brent Venables took over and they went seven and one and like, you know what, let's just continue and give this guy the job. They don't want an Ed Orgeron 2016 2.0. That seemed to me to be part of it. Yeah, no, I think that was the the largest, like, I don't know if LSU would have done this had 2016 with, or 2015 with Miles and the whole fucking parade off on, on the shoulders and whatnot. I, I don't think that that was going, like, I don't know if they would have been this proactive had that not happened. Oh, for sure. And there's like, a, I don't expect anyone to feel, Birdie and I talked about this a little bit, and I wrote about it on like Monday before, uh, like the interview happened but it was like i don't expect anyone to feel bad for ed Orgeron, but there is an element of sadness to all this like he has the divorce happen and i don't know know what happened there but and really no one knows business but he clearly once that happened lost his way and it's kind of sad that like this guy kind of i guess corrected himself and made himself a better version of himself to you know kind of reach the pinnacle of the sport at the school that mattered most to him only to revert back to everything that made him a flame out at Ole Miss. I mean, that right. The USC players were like calling him like a father figure. And then, you know, the summer of 2020 happens and he mishandles the very simple thing. Like when you have an entire locker room of mostly African-American kids telling you that, you know, they're, they're very upset and they're, they, they feel that things, they don't like the way things are going in this country and they can see it with their own eyes and feel it and to not kind of just turn a blind eye to that was kind of the antithesis of what made O a good interim coach, right? He was a player's coach. And then there was the meddling and then the, the women aspect of it, which is just kind of bizarre, but you know, everyone has vices and coping mechanisms and that kind of ultimately all combined together to prove to be his downfall. I don't necessarily feel bad for Ed Orgeron, but there is a sadness element to this story. There is. Yeah. Uh, it's a, and uh, we have a couple speaker requests actually. And, Speaking of sadness, um, friend of the pod, Miles Bergeron, um, is, um, is, uh, has requested to speak. So we're going to let Miles on for a little bit here. Uh, Miles, what's going on, buddy? Can you all hear me? Yes. Locked and loaded. What's up, guys? I didn't really have – How goes? Well, I, I heard an Ed Orgeron conversation going on. 
I had to pitch in my two cents, but, and I don't really want to take too much time, but among all the conversations that I've had with the LSU faithful so far, the prevailing narrative among, you know, the litany of things that have come about is the Dabo Sweeney model doesn't work if the environment you're trying to create is absolutely toxic. And that was the case for <laughs> the entire time. Like, like I know 19 <laughs> is like this shiny city on a hill, but the, the coordinator issues stemmed from year one. And the, the theory is the reason why Ed Orgeron's staff was so incompetent that they couldn't even backfill him whenever he inevitably had to be fired is because he couldn't bring anybody in. No one was going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So, you know, I think it goes to show that if you're not a schematic genius, you better have some leadership quality to be able to lead a, uh, lead a clubhouse or you're going to be out of a job. You might make $17 million, yeah, but I mean, you'll be out of a job. You're right. I mean, he didn't interview Bo Pelini. He, Pete Carroll told him to hire him, and he goes, all right, sweet, he's in. And then there's, like, Ross Dellinger reported that they barely spoke, and he would show up late to shit from the golf course. It's like, well, what the fuck is this? Like, what is going on here? I didn't believe the rumors I mean, when they were happening, but that there was there was a lot of smoke that Bo Pelini was just hanging out in that room. Not necessarily burning the candle on both. Oh, I think he got there. It was like, hey, this dumb asshole just gave me a million and a half dollars a year to do nothing, and I'm about to do nothing. <laughs> so the other point that I, I – and I hate to divert the, the conversation, but something dawned on me with all of this. And, you know, the initial report when it immediately came out was we agreed to a reduced buyout. The term sheet, the, the, the termination sheet comes out full buyout. And I, the more I think about it, it almost seems like buyout clauses being paid in full are literally settlement money to ensure that things do not get kicked, kicked up from under the rug. That's the way it's seeming to me. And that's the theory that a lot of people have about this whole Ed Orgeron situation. Oh, that's exactly what happened here. Neither okay. there was a road this could have gone down. Like there was a slim, amicable path, and I think Scott Woodward decided to take it before it completely shut. And I think honestly, the Kentucky game helped, where Ed was like, "Okay, like when you see it happen on the field in kind of Ed's brain terms, where it's like, okay, this is not competitive. These guys have kind of quit." I think that helped, but I think that's exactly correct in what happened. It's like, look. They don't want Ed burning the place down on the way out. And Ed probably doesn't want to completely sever ties from a place that he holds dear. And he did win a national title. Like, there is a ring and everything to prove it. I think they just kind of decided, here's your money. Let's just settle this in with it. I mean, they're going to parade him around like a mascot for four years. He has to appear at one public thing for four years. Like, that's kind of a bizarre clause. Things things were getting ugly. They were absolutely getting ugly as as the writing became more evident you know, I, the last point that I want to make, and then I want to let you know, but something that I want to hear y'all talk about is 
eligible as a job is the most backwards thing in this world. It's the highest of highs and sometimes it's the lowest of lows. And like the roller coaster and the pressure cooker that it can be, it's like it is both the most and the least attractive job to an up and comer. And I just want to hear what y'all think about the fact that, you know, we're we're on our third title with our third coach in 20 years, and we have a job opening again, and we fired two of those coaches. So I'll leave y'all there. Yeah, the, and uh, so so here is my only concern with the uh, – with the way that this potentially gets replicated is because I think, and it has become, I think, confirmed time and time again, once you see a guy like Les come in and then a guy like O come in and both of them still be able to find, albeit wildly different versions of success. Um, Les has seemed the most sustainable. I mean, I, I don't want to say O's was flash in a pan just because 2018 was a, a legitimately good team, but it still did feel like a, a, a team that was um, that was dependent upon an extremely functional quarterback. But my concern would be Scott Woodward in all of this, in like the way that you don't the way that you go and you get a coach that's there for 15 plus years is you go and you get somebody. And I know it's beaten to death, but I do think college football of all sports, it, it, it may fight the culture cliche the most because you have to get a guy in there that is going to establish a culture around recruiting that is going to be dominant. And I understand that that can be done in Louisiana, maybe easier than almost any other place just because of the geography and the talent and the lack of in-state competition. But I think the problem here is, is that that is not Scott Woodward's MO. I think Scott Woodward and this, everyone says his MO is he's going to make guys tell him no. My concern, if I were an LSU fan would be, you're going after guys who it's pretty easy to say no. Like if you go, if, <laughs> it, like if you go to Dabo Sweeney, it's not hard for him to say no. If you go to Mel Tucker, that may be where it, 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 it might be a little bit easier to to actually get in there and build something. But like if you're if if what's his name's plan is going to be something in the already established head coach at a school that is probably on par with LSU competition wise as it currently stands. So I guess that would, that would say Dabo Sweeney, James Franklin and Jimbo Fisher. I don't think that is going to be something, someone that you get in for more than the next 10 years. I also don't think that a guy like Billy Napier is going to be remotely in the world that Scott Woodward wants to consider. And so that's where I think that middle ground of, I don't know if a guy like Dave Aranda wants to come back. If he doesn't, I don't, that probably tells more about what we were talking about with toxicity at LSU than his relationship with O, because if you're going to take over O, you don't have to deal with him. And if your problem really was with O and not with LSU as a whole, I would feel like that would come back and be a little easier. But I, I was listening on Split Zone Duo the other day, and they made a really good point of Aranda may not be the guy that wants to come in and be the face of Louisiana. Like he is an X's and O's genius, almost the exact opposite of what Coach O is. They 
like we were talking about now, Coach O is being paraded around as a mascot. I think Aranda would put a bullet in his head before he agreed to any sort of buyout with that attached to it. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm closing this in that I think LSU is a fucking insanely good job, but I'm concerned with the way that they may be trying to build it because you could go out and you could fucking hire James Franklin and he builds, he gets you a national championship. But I also don't think James Franklin leaves you devoid of having to deal with this current situation again before 2030. And so if I were LSU, I would want to go get someone where it's like, can we sink the next 15 years into somebody? Yeah, um, that's a great point. I don't, I think the last two are pretty unique circumstances. Like we mentioned, oh, Oh, got the job because he went six and two, and the players loved him. And Tom Herman and Jimbo said no already. And that, that's why O had, had the job in the first place. And then his OCs were Matt Canada, then Stevens Minger, then Stevens Minger slash Joe Brady. Um, now Jake Peets. It's like it's it's where there's no consistency there. And for a coach this early into his tenure, not having consistency at the coordinator spot is kind of a death knell. Um, I did, this job is very, very attractive, uh, and it always will be just until there's another Power 5 school in Louisiana. It'll be one of the one or two most attractive jobs in the country. But I don't think administration is inherently crazy. I think O was just very, like, very underqualified, and after five years, that eventually showed itself. I think Les Miles eventually just did not adapt, and you can't expect that, especially when a guy wins a title in year three like he did. You can't think, oh – six, seven, eight years from now, he's not going to be able to adapt. You can't you, you can't hire with those things in mind. You have to hire you know, for the next three to four years, three to five years, and then you kind of build off of that. I think this job I, – I, I would listen if I were any coach outside of Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, and if I'm Brian Kelly, I'd just like don't listen because I'm Brian Kelly and I like Notre Dame. <laughs> but um, pretty much – And I can't kill kids as easily. I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. Even if I'm Dabo, I listen to this job because I mean it's Dabo's, but like he's a he is a Saban light taskmaster in terms of just being a CEO of a program. Again, I can't stand the man, I can't stand the program, but he's done it. Like he, he's shown he can do it at Clemson, and it'll be harder because Saban's in the division, and you know Jimbo's in the in the division, and who knows Brian Harson might be good. It's too early to tell, but he, he has shown that he can build that sort of program. Um, so I'd listen if I'm Dabo. I'd listen if I'm Lincoln Riley. I'd obviously listen if I'm Mel Tucker. But you know, it's not, I think pretty much everyone except the three people I named are gonna at least take the phone call, or at least you'd listen, listen if you were Lincoln Riley. Really? If, if I'm Lincoln, Lincoln, yeah, really? yes, only only because um, I do know that I'm not going to be the only king of the castle in the Big Twelve for long. And in terms of winning long term in the SEC, I'd rather do that at LSU than at Oklahoma. I can see that. I, 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 I think that there are, I guess I'm a little bit more um, wary of people wanting to uproot good situations for a place where they think this is a 10 win roster. I mean, uh, they think this is a 10 win roster because they fired a guy and granted there were other things, but they fired a guy at three and three. And so like, they obviously think that this is going to be something that needs to come in and you need to win 20 to, I mean, winning 20 games in your first two years is kind of something that is like, all right, we might give you one buffer a year, but you can't, if you don't win 25 in your first three, it's, it's over. 
I mean, if I were Lincoln Riley, I would not uproot my cushy job. If I were Dabo, I would not. I mean, I I don't know. I just it's someone that's not at one of the five jobs, right? Is what you're trying to get at. Like Lincoln is at one of those, right? Dabo is at one of them. It's someone that's close that can use kind of the this is the car that drives itself to get there. But if you're at one of the five, there's no reason to leave. And I think that's where Mel Tucker comes in. Is KP and I were talking about this earlier. If you leverage right, and now granted, three three schools in four years is a lot, but I think this is the perfect situation where you took a Colorado team that you probably took them to their limit. Michigan State's limit, I think we've seen it. It's going to be winning the Big Ten in a down year and then getting fucking blitzkrieged in the playoff. And so if you look at that and you see the booster culture around there, I think now is probably the time to hop to LSU and then sink your teeth. Yeah, it's just the, the one thing, like I told you, Andrew, the three schools in four years thing, again, I coach can go wherever they want. I believe players should be able to do the same thing, but that's another conversation. Um, it's just hard to just go into a living room and say, and try to get a guy to come. It's like, you've been at three schools in four years. You know, what's saying that, you know, I don't, you go eight and four here one year, but then crap, I don't know, Notre Dame opens up and then they call you. Like, how do I know you'll say no? to them, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think Mel Tucker's an insanely talented coach. He's, he was obviously a great um, – he's a Nick Saban lieutenant, even going back to when he was a GA at Michigan State. He was Kirby Smart's first D.C. and did incredible work there. And, yeah, the Colorado thing was he had one year at Colorado, got out of there, which was probably a smart career move. And he's taken – Andrew, I don't know if that's Michigan State ceiling. That was Michigan State ceiling under Mark D'Antonio. Mel Tucker uh, believes that you can have athletic receivers at Michigan State <laughs> and running backs too. Uh, Mark D'Antonio didn't believe that. So we may not have seen State ceiling. I think he's great. I think he would do amazing work at LSU. I, I just don't know um, that it would be – it just would not have the best optics if he goes um, to LSU. Yeah. After I also think season. that halfway wink wink that this new chancellor that LSU has that has a propensity to kind of uh, stick his finger in the sports bowl uh, wants Mel Tucker. And so if I had to place a wager on how this is going to happen, and I wouldn't like say this is a certainty by any means because this is probably going to get pretty weird. But if you – I'm not in Vegas. People in the desert know stuff. But, like, I, if you made me place a favorite or a wager on someone, I would bet that Mel Tucker is the next head coach at LSU. That, I'm, I'm, I'm there, too. I just think that a guy like – I mean, a guy like Fickle is probably looking at himself saying, there is going to be no difference in the way that I coach now and the way that I coach in the Big 12 in terms of what my competition level is going to be. And I think that – um like I think like people looking at Dabo saying that things are too down, like this is the time to strike with Dabo. Clemson has, has lost their fastball. I think that that is probably a little bit too uh, – getting a little bit too alarmist for someone who is legitimately built up. Um, I mean, you, you build up these machines – in your support staff and your recruiting and your ties to the area. And those are things that just don't go away after two losses, like going to a kid's house every day after or after every single 
f- high school football game that he played like LSU did after like to, to get to secure Leonard Fournette's commitment. Those things don't go away just because you lose a game, you lose a, a close game or two. And so I think what Mel T- Tucker may be looking at is, all right, shit, am I going to be taking the first would i rather be the second best team in the state of michigan or the first best team in the state of louisiana in terms of talent no i think you're dead on and you know as much as people want to dump on Dabo, and there's plenty of reasons to don't get me wrong the things he says sometimes are just kind of buffoonish he's clearly not a bad person to work for i mean i don't care how much money you throw at the guy getting a defensive coordinator and having that sort of coaching staff continuity in this day and age of college sports really is truly remarkable so, like, for all his flaws, he is clearly a good boss to work for and creates an environment and of kind of, you know, family's a cliche, but, like, continuity that people don't necessarily want to leave. And so that would be kind of the antithesis of everything he sold and built up, right, is to the first bad season in quite a while. He's like, oh, the hell with this, I'm out of here. Like, I don't necessarily think – to say he views this season as a blip on the radar might be overselling it, to be honest. Like, I think in the long run, he doesn't view this as hardly anything. It's just like, hey, this quarterback kind of stinks, like had some bad breaks. Like, this is just kind of whatever will be on to 2022. So I agree with you in that sense. And I think Mel Tucker would be a pretty good fit at LSU as well. But I don't know. What a fascinating gig because, like you mentioned, is there any other job? All right, here. No, no, all right. We got it back on track segue time. When the fuck are they going to set fire Dan Mullen? Yeah, he gave up 321 yards rushing to a team that ran for 78 on Central Michigan. Let me say this. I still think in my gut that uh, every time I'm confident that we're going to beat Florida, we lose to Florida. Therefore, I think that we are going to lose to Florida because I'm so confident that we are. But if we go out and we beat Florida 42 to 7, how long does does, does Mullen survive? Andrew, Andrew, stop this shit. You did this shit in 2017, too. The, the, the game the game will not be close. Uh, no, I did get- this in 2014. No, we were 14 and a half point favorites in 2014, and then fucking Treon Harris happened. Well, you didn't know about Treon <laughs> Harris. That's that's your fault. But you, that's we we all should have known. But no, you guys will uh, that will be a bloodletting, and that'll bring him what to two and seven in his last nine against Power Five teams. It's, Correct. It, oh, that's a terrible terrible number. stat. There obviously there will be ups and downs if you're not one of the five that we talked about. But I mean, there's been a clear regression from year one. I mean, year one they went ten and three and won the Peach Bowl. Um, Florida is also like five yeah. and a half if you're talking about that group of five. I mean, if there's a team that's maybe not a program that's not quite there, but you're talking about like first alternate, that's definitely Florida. Well, the issue is is that if you look historically, Florida State, Miami, and Florida have never all three been good at the same time. And the fact that Florida State and Miami are where they are now, and we're still seeing this dip, this regression from Mullen year over year, yes. that's the troubling part. If Florida's struggling, but Miami's on one of those early 2000s runs or Florida State's, you know, in that, you know, early 2010s run, then yeah, I, that makes sense. But what excuses Florida have now? Oh, I think you nailed it, right? Like, okay, Miami's not like a total joke. I mean, it's not great. But Florida State's as bad as it's been in a long time, and like whatever the stat is, it's two and seven. You just pulled out. Like that, that's a, that's as big an indictment as anything. And if if lest we forget, 
that last year, even after they won the East and went to the SEC title game, that sneaky little, oh, they got popped with some halfway between minor, halfway between intermediate NCAA violations. There was a little bit of smoke for about a week and a half about his job security then, if you'll remember that. Now they're actually losing games on the field. Like that, that Dan Mullen is he better hope James Franklin wants to go to USC, I guess I would put it that way. James Franklin at Florida would be more dangerous than even Mel Tucker at LSU. Am I gonna be the guy that just is gonna say, what if James Franklin never leaves Penn State? Like, isn't Penn State it's not a bad Penn thing. State that job? I mean, I could be crazy here, but like you're going to be more relevant there than you are at USC. I know USC is probably going to be, if you are at the pinnacle, you are probably going to have a little bit higher cachet and it's going to be a little bit easier to recruit. But we're also nearing the era where kids were born after the last time USC was really good. Penn State is the, probably the second best job in the Big Ten in terms of what you can do. I think Wisconsin is my take is Wisconsin is the best job just because of program stability and expectation, et cetera, et cetera. But you can do a lot of good work at Penn State. Pennsylvania is super fertile and they're smack dab in the middle. So they have equal access to Pittsburgh and Philly. Um, they have a weirdly high alumni presence in, not weirdly, but in New York and the DMV. Um, As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. 
just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And just a really good history and tradition. Pinsett's an amazing job. James Franklin's from Pennsylvania. If he just stays there for the next 10 to 15 years, that's not the worst thing in the world for either party. Why is it not Florida State South where one guy won there and then it's like, what actually is this after he leaves? Why is what not Florida State? Is, are you talking about Penn State? Penn State. Oh, um, I mean, James Franklin won the Big Ten in year three, and then won the um, and then won the New Year's Six Bowl the year after. There's been a couple hiccups, but he's done good work. And again, Paterno was there for how like forty years. I mean, this is year eight for Franklin, but it's 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 still really not a good comparison. No, no, I get it. I just, I don't know. Like, is he not the Jimbo? Like, what happens if he left? What does that job turn into after that? It's kind of fascinating. You got high Luke Fickle, basically. That's, <laughs> that's what Which would be better do. for Luke Fickle than taking the LSU job to kind of solidify Andrew's point. Yeah, no, Luke Fickle's a Midwest. I mean, his nickname is Mr. Ohio. Like, you would have to drag him screaming out of the Midwest. Um, he's waiting for Ryan Day to go to the NFL or Brian Day to go to, or Brian Kelly to go to prison. Um. <laughs> I, I, I we we may just completely blow through. Uh, the, all of our previews are going to be just tied up in coach talk. But this is something that I'm legitimately wondering: how many? Th- th- I think the good thing to define here, and circumstances always change based on where people are from and where recruiting ties are and whatnot. But what are the true in destination jobs? Because like I, I really do feel like Penn State is an in-destination job. I don't think necessarily Michigan State is, but, like, I think there are probably about a dozen of them where it's like if you have – I think that the parameter should be if you have things consistently cooking, and let's call that a 10, 9-10 win pace or above on average, then even if Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Michigan, one of these opens up, you still don't necessarily leave for it. And I feel like this is going to be completely solidified if and when Dabo turns down Alabama as Saban's replacement. Like, I think – sorry, Andrew, I think the destination job thing is fluid because, like, Clemson wasn't a destination job until Dabo really got the machine rolling there, right? Now it absolutely is, but – it's- yes, but it only takes one guy to to kickstart the booster culture to get it there. So, like, I think Oregon is now a destination job because you're not just going to take away the facilities. Like, once the facilities are there and everything is going, like, like we talk about this because it could be in two different ways. But, like, Florida and Georgia were the last two schools in the SEC to get indoor practice facilities built. And those were still thought of as, like, prestige jobs 10 years ago. And so, like, I I, I feel like... Even when, like, I'm just counting, Pac-12, you probably have two. I think in the current Big 12, you probably have two. I think in the Big 10, that's where I think you have probably four. Like, I would almost even consider Wisconsin a destination job. Like, I don't think that, I don't know how many people are leaving Wisconsin to go to Notre Dame. I just don't. I could be wrong. It it also, it's. And all this depends on the guy too, right? Because I think Paul Chris is perfectly con- and administration is as well perfectly content to just win eight to ten games a year, win the Big Ten West every other year, and just kind of 
go to the New Year's Six once every three or four years and just kind of vibe. Like they're perfectly content with that. And that could be a destination job for a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches are just okay with that. I don't think James Franklin is okay with that. I think James Franklin wants to win national championships. Paul Christ is, it seems like he's okay with where he is now, you know? Jonathan Smith, I mean, Oregon State was a destination job for him because he's a former quarterback. They're never going to win more than nine games ever again. But <laughs> but it could be a destination for that guy. So it's very fluid, but I, I think you bring a little bit as well. Yeah, I think there are about I think there's about a dozen where uh, you would probably not because again, what is funny though is like a, a place like Tennessee is in there because it's like I don't know like as it as it, 10, 15 years ago, absolutely not. That is going to be one of the destination end jobs. But now it really maybe wouldn't shock me if the Tennessee head coach left for somewhere else. But at the same time, we're also so far we're so far removed from relevant Tennessee that we don't even really know what that looks like. Like someone in like Phil Fulmer was never going to leave Tennessee, but he was obviously a lifer there, but like somebody that gets Tennessee rolling, I don't necessarily see leaving for Alabama, but I digress. Um, KP, have we just blown through the entire rundown? Was, was the rundown talk about coach O for 45 minutes and then talk about Dabo for 10 minutes or, or uh, Mullen? We can, I mean, this worked out pretty well. We can talk briefly about a few games to watch this week uh, before we go into our picks. Sound good? Let's do it, brother. All right. Uh, so first game to watch, Wisconsin at Purdue. Seriously, this is an elimination game in the Big Ten West. Um, I do think this is basically Jeff Brom uh, kind of, it could be a Jeff Brom flex game. It could be a Paul Chris Boa constrictor game. It should be pretty interesting. I don't know. And Purdue's got some athletes on that offense. So it could be a very, very interesting time. I think Purdue's actually an underdog here, um, which is weird to me. But, yeah, games in West Lafayette should be fun. Yeah, I got a real uh, I got a real issue with the Sickos committee for calling this a Sickos game of the week. Um, we just need to – we we need to really define that as um, – your concern amongst your family and friends if you watch the entire game. And to be completely honest, I don't think there should be much concern over watching what should be a uh, probably I, I would be shocked if the Big Ten West division winner does not play in this game. It's almost constant like four and three as well. Like <laughs> they're not horrible. And they're just no, like, they're not okay. And, 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 and it's, it's a week slate of games. Like mm-hmm. this is definitely appointment viewing given this week's slate. Yeah, no, no, rank, no ranked on rank this week, which is just really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And the dogs are off. Yeah, I might just, I might go into off season Andrew mode. Uh, next up, we've got Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Um, Iowa State is they've still got all the players that made them a preseason top twelve team or whatever. Um, and like I put in the rundown, Ames Iowa in the early afternoon is a beehive. Like that is not a place I think anyone wants to play. Uh, so that one could get very interesting as well. Is Gundy's team good? Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not getting suck. I'm not getting suckered in. I'm not getting suckered in again. I'm not getting suckered into this Mason Rudolph fucking hokum bullshittery. No, they're gonna go. This is a ten and two team. They're going. Who's the first Mason Rudolph? What was his name? Oh, Whedon. Brandon Whedon. Brandon Whedon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Justin Blackman, come on the show. I feel like he's a spiritual banjo. <laughs> no one knows where he is. What? 
Oh, Justin. Yeah. No, no, no. Wait, who am I thinking of? That was the, the first round Jaguars receiver, right? Yeah, yeah, anyone, yeah. No yeah, one knows yeah. where he is. He's technically still under contract. Not under contract, but under if he should come back to the NFL and reappear. I'm pretty sure he has to play for the Jags. I could be wrong about that. He's like the football version of Anthony Kim, to use a golf reference. I think he's like. Stay missing, King. Stay missing. Uh, but also happy and healthy. Hope you're doing well, Justin. Uh, next game we've got on this, again, weeks late, LSU at Ole Miss. I think this is a huge weekend for Ole Miss. They very not so suddenly put Manning in the end zone for Eli Manning's jersey retirement the same day Arch visits. Um, I think it would be hilarious to watch LSU win this game, um, especially given Eli Manning's history with LSU, um, Ed Orgeron's history with Ole Miss. Um could be very, very, very funny. I, yeah, I mean, for all the things Ole Miss gets wrong from a marketing standpoint, they nailed this one. Uh, <laughs> I have incredible. my, I have my doubts about LSU doing the whole interim send it out on a high note, win one for the Gipper thing. Considering like they're like, yeah, like he'll coach the rest of the season and they'll play hard for him, even though all the reporting behind the scenes are like, actually, the players can't stand this fucking guy and neither can the coaches. That, to me, just seems like a disaster that's going to slowly unravel, particularly since they kind of quit on the field two weeks ago. I'd say Florida was an anomaly. I'm not saying Ole Miss couldn't lose this game because they are banged to shit. I mean, they ran their quarterback 30 times. Corral is having one of the weirdest Heisman campaigns ever because he ran 30 times for 200 yards and threw for 240 and two touchdowns, and no one gave a shit. Down three receivers and two offensive linemen because it was on SEC Network. Tennessee's not good. The whole game got sidetracked by a bunch of bottles being thrown in the field. But, like, he literally <laughs> was dropping back. If one guy wasn't open, he was basically being instructed to just run as far as he could and sliding it down. It was honestly one of the more insane performances I've ever seen, and no one seems to care. I don't know if he's going to do that again. I don't know how healthy he is, but that could get weird. Once again, Tennessee football ruins um, something really, really cool for other people. Because uh, I actually watched that game after Alabama finished up, and he was unreal. Uh, he was crazy good, and I don't. I, Neyland is just—I mean, by any means necessary—they made themselves the largest stadium in the SEC. But that place was bonkers loud Saturday night. That's the loudest I've ever heard it on TV. Um, and Corral just went in there and won that game, which was just an incredible. I, I'm not sure there are many quarterbacks in the country that can win that game um, based on the circumstances Corral had to deal with. I'm not sure they win that game with anyone else in the country playing quarterback. And maybe like like junior, sophomore Bryce Young, but he still is yeah. kind of young and at least showed some flappability against A&M, and I'd like to see a little bit more Caleb Williams. Yeah. I'm not sure a single quarterback in the country wins that game other than Corral. He had nothing. No, it was it, it was incredible. And Matt Corral, come on the show, man. You are um, – you're a baller. Um, you're a banjo guy now, Matt. Congrats. Um Final game we have um, to look ahead to, Clemson at Pitt. Um, I haven't looked at the line for this game yet, but I'm oh, running ready- Clemson you. going into Heinz Field. It, it's going to get very spooky. <laughs> what is it, Andrew? That it, it is uh, Pitt minus three. That is uh, Heisman. Heisman tro- is uh, it Heisman Trophy front runner? Can you pick it? it who – it, I don't think there is a front runner right now, only because Ole Miss has lost it's, a game like pretty. It's me. Loudly. It's me. I'm the, I'm the Heisman front runner. 
I'd probably still put Corral, Bryce Young, um, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State as my top three. But if Pitt just ends up at 11-1 and one going into championship weekend, um, I'm not sure how Kenny Pickett doesn't. Because Kenny Pickett's going to have to put up numbers um, that warrant a Heisman invite if Pitt's going to go to the ACC championship. Yeah, I uh, I mean this this is very much as as bad as Clemson is. If if they come out and win this one, this would put Pickett on the map for sure. Oh, for sure, e- easily because everyone's going to be watching this. This is Clemson still only has one loss in conference. They just and, they just look <laughs> they just look like shit during it. But and this have- is very uh very 2000 and what 1920 warriors energy where they had beat up on people for so long and irked out so many close games and now they see the wounded dog and they're just fucking beating it with a stick die fucker and everyone loves it yes no that's basically what's going on um so good luck to um to clemson in that game i don't know Clemson's got a really good defense. I don't know how their offense scores more than 21 ever. I don't think they have yet this season against an FBS team, which is kind of incredible. Um, Sicko's game of the week, Colorado at Cal. Um, No thoughts here. Um, I am probably going to watch at least some of this game uh, because of who I am as a person. Um, Just even like at a tailgate because I will be in Tuscaloosa this weekend for homecoming. But, yeah, Colorado Cal, um, two head coaches that really don't want to be there and two teams that want to be there even less. I just – I can't I can't get over Sicko's committee. We love you so much. But they they said that the game – the Sicko's game of the week was LSU Ole Miss. That's like one of the only watchable games this week. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's going to be like – these are two, like, actually talented teams playing in – one of the premier rivalries in the SEC. It's it's kind of the opposite of a sickos game. It's kind of like the only like <laughs> if if you have to watch college football on Saturday, it's like one of the few games you should watch. I would even advise people to watch Clemson Pitt if they have other options. No, it's just this week. Oh, I could offer a little. I'm not privy to all of the qualifications of what makes a Sitco's game, but Mississippi State Vanderbilt has to be on the ballot. Oh yeah. So so we've we've really defined a a Sitco's game as would your family come to you with concern or your good friends come to you concerned if you watched this entire game in or watch this game in its entirety? If you block off time on your schedule to watch X game and your family would be concerned, then it is an official Sitco's game. Yes. So, okay. I think this borderline qualifies. I mean, I'll watch it for obvious reasons, but like, if you're just average Joe out there, what? What the? I think. I think uh, Vanderbilt's playing a backup quarterback. Does that tip it over the edge? Yeah. No. This is this is a one thousand percent sickos game. Which hey, isn't that? That's two win Vanderbilt to you. I think that is. Yes, <laughs> that is that true. Is, that is all. Should have been three win. They say, blew it. Almost yeah. three win Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh, buddy, Shane Beamer is certainly. The coach at South Carolina. Um, <laughs> I love nepotism, baby. <laughs> oh man! All right, you guys want to get into the they, picks? Yeah, they should have hired that dude. Who's the dude from Coastal? They 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 fucked up. That Jamie done. Chadwell. Yeah, yeah. You know, it may have been just really to go back to the LSU coaching coach very very briefly. It may their AD may have had Scott Woodward brain. It's like we can't hire the G five in state guy. That's yeah. suicide, and it's like, yeah. well, no, you probably just should have done it because 
Because look at you now. Yeah, yep. They should probably hire Napier, by the way. I don't know if I missed that part of the conversation, but they should probably they, do that. But they we'll would see. be good. They would be complete. They would be so fine doing that. And I think people around here would be okay with it, except for the guy actually making the hiring decision. Go Bears. Um, I agree. Go, going, Go Bears. <laughs> going into um, pick six, um, folks, I was a solid 18 and 18, had been 500 for like three weeks in a row, and just got run through the coals. This week went one and five, bringing our record to a sterling 19 and 23, um, which I'm not proud of, but it's a long season. And we've got, uh, I think, six more weeks of regular season football. So, yeah, a lot of, that's what, 30 opportunities to lose? <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, I know I was uh I was eighteen, sixteen, and two going into last week, and I don't know what I went last week. I know I missed Oregon. I know I missed the Arizona State pick'em. I covered with Bama. I covered with Ole Miss. Does anyone know the results of the TCU or the Baylor games off of the top of their heads? TCU lost by I think twenty one Oklahoma. Um, and I think, oh yeah, that's right. They did not cover. I think Baylor, Baylor covered against BYU actually. Oh, you're right. They did. So I was uh, I was three and three on the week. So that brings me to I'm going to do some I'm going to do some crazy math uh, off the top of the dome. I believe that is 21, 21. 19 and two. This is correct. Um, I have the Google Google right right now. Um, But (laughs) all right. I don't I don't know what I am on the year, but I am. uh, I am sad to report that I went one and five last week. And can you take a guess what my one win was? Go Rabs? No, I missed the Ole Miss uh, Tennessee over by a half point. I had it 57 and a half, went to 57, hand up in man of integrity. Oh, I was wait, not going to. Oh, wait. It was ULM, wasn't it? It was. They were <laughs> plus 32 and a half and won the game outright. Won outright. Oh, my God. That basically, you basically no. went 500, Rippy. Rich Damn. Rodriguez owns Hugh Freeds. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Man, I. Um... I missed the Georgia-Kentucky over by, I think, a point, maybe, because Kentucky decided not to go for two, two. at the very end. Yeah, we missed two missed extra points in the game. I, I mean, incredible. Really just incredible work across the board. Um, go Cats, go Dogs. Uh, I'll just run through my picks really, really quickly here because we're running up on time a little bit. Starting off, Penn State uh, minus 23 at home against Illinois. I don't think Illinois has a pulse. Brett Bielema hates his offensive line. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that press conference. Basically just told them they sucked in front of the country right after a game. Pretty bad. Um, so I, 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 even though Penn State's got a backup quarterback, I still think they're going to run over Illinois. I don't know how Illinois scores points here. Purdue plus three um, at home against Wisconsin. I think Purdue is just straight up better than Wisconsin is this season. So um, to see them as an underdog is kind of surprising. But, uh, yeah, Purdue plus three. Ole Miss minus nine against LSU. Um I know. I know. I said it'd be funny if LSU won this. I don't see how they can with Max Johnson playing quarterback against Matt Corral. Uh, NC State at Miami under fifty one and a half. Just these two teams can't score. It's. I know rooting for the unders never fun, but when you've got a diet sickos game here, even with NC State being ranked, it's, you can root for the under. And I'm minus twenty one at home against South Carolina. South Carolina literally almost lost at home to Vanderbilt. I don't know how they go into College Station and keep it within thirty. And finally, UTSA at Louisiana Tech over 60. Meet me. Um, I love my Central Texas brethren down there in San Antonio, and I think that game will get pretty high scoring pretty quickly. 
Dale, yeah. Um, KP, I'm going to agree with you on that uh, Ole Miss minus, minus nine pick. Um, I just do not. I, I think that they probably internally knew that O was was gone um, and the announcement was coming. And we all know O is very good for a hype game. I think all of that sort of wears off and we are set back to reality of a team that is completely injury depleted and not a whole lot to play for. Um, so I think Ole Miss wins relatively easily. Um I am I'm going to stick with you as well on Purdue plus three against Wisconsin. I'm going to go out here and say this right now. I can easily see Wisconsin winning and covering this game. I just uh, I don't know how much sustainable success can consistently be built uh, in West Lafayette. They seem to be the kings of winning the big game and then faltering back to reality in just the most the world's most questionable manner. But um, Rondo more fucks. Um, Oregon plus two versus UCLA. Um, the other sickos game, Mississippi State minus 20 against Vandy. Um, with a backup quarterback in for Vandy, they literally might not score a single point. Um, I have Fresno minus three against Nevada. That may be a little, a little G5 game of the week. I mean, I think that's five and two. Um, Fresno State versus five and one Nevada, and Nevada's only loss this year is to a, a decent, uh, albeit hurt, Kansas State team. And then I have uh, University of Virginia uh, minus seven against Georgia Tech. I just um, the only reason Georgia Tech has been mentioned this year is because they kept it close with a terrible Clemson team, and so I think US uh, UVA um, decent and will get the win at home in Charlottesville. What you got, Rip? I am going to start with Vanderbilt plus 20 and a half against State. Uh, I think Vanderbilt should get credit for having a backup quarterback. That's pretty impressive given everything going on there. So we'll go with the Doors plus 20 and a half. Second one, I think I guess I'll go Ole Miss nine and a half, although I don't feel great about it because Ole Miss is really, 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 really injured. But I think LSU might quit on the field, and this could be kind of the reality. Have we tried the spin zone of they won that Florida game because they knew Ed was being fired, and that's what fired them up? Has anyone had that take? Because I'm going to put that into the stratosphere real quick. I don't even know if that's a spin zone, Rev. I think that's literally what happened. I mean, you saw what, like, three or four guys went out for, like, had season-ending injuries during the week when the players probably found out about it. Like, yeah, they they hate that guy. Yeah, that might have been the motivation. The one game we have not mentioned is Notre Dame being minus seven versus USC. I think I'm going to go Notre Dame here. I just think that's a kind of a well-coached more to play for at home thing. So I'll go to Notre Dame minus seven. So that's three. Um, I'm going to go Liberty Flames bounce back game because Pastor Hughes pretty good off a loss. So Liberty minus 21 against North Texas. That's four. I'll go Oklahoma State plus seven against Iowa State. Entirely too many points. That's five. And the last one, I'll go Oregon plus two and a half just because that looks fun and I'm going to need something to do. All right. That works. Yeah, I think three people took the Oregon-UCLA game. It's kind of weird to see UCLA be the favorite there. Is that game in the Rose Bowl? Yes. Oh, wow. Incredible. Um, So good for them. But, uh, yeah, really – Really interesting, weird slate of games. I, I was maybe a little too harsh. Not a bad slate, just weird. You know, like Ole Miss LSU is a cool game to watch, but it should never be one of the three or four best of the weekend, personally. Um, any fun plans this weekend, football watching, guys? Rip, are you going to be in stadium for the LSU game? 
No, I'm actually at home in my apartment in Dallas for the first time in over a month. I wish there was a better slate because I plan to watch football, and maybe I might not put pants on for 48 hours. I plan to do nothing. God bless. What about you, Drew? I'm the same. I am homebound for the weekend, which, again, kind of sucks that uh, this is probably the worst weekend of college football that we have yet. But I'm going to make the most of it by, as Rippy said, trying not to put pants on for as long as I can. Hell yeah. I, um, I'll be in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Um, homecoming plus Tennessee game. Really kind of best of both worlds there. Um, a low stress game, I say right now, until Josh Heupel just puts up 45 on us. But yeah, I'm going to enjoy this time for right now. Um, I've got my mustard flask ready to roll and should be a good weekend. Hell yeah. Keep that thing fucking strapped, baby. <laughs> you know it. Folks, that was Banjo College Football. Um, we're live on Spotify Green Room every Tuesday night uh, as part of the Sports Drink Crown family. I'm your host, Kevin Paul. Uh, remind you to finish your breakfast. We'll see you next week. Y'all take care. You just got banjoed, bitch. <laughs>